0: 1500 years before Jesus was born in the ancient Middle East, two armies face each other across a valley. The army of the nation of Israel is camped at a place called Ebenezer, and they are itching for war with their bitter enemies, the Philistines. The two armies clash in a great battle, and as the battle spreads, the Israelites, the chosen people of God, Face a crushing defeat, losing 4,000 men before they retreat. And when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of the Israel, of Israel asked, why? Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? As if they were saying, where was God? Why didn't he show up? And then one of the leaders cries out, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Then we will surely win. Now this is a very bad decision. Just a very bad decision. But we all have done something like this, making God an afterthought. Making him a special secret weapon that's always on our side. So Israel, defeated, decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle with the Philistines. This is a picture of what the Ark of the Covenant probably looked like. The Bible gives a very detailed description of it in Exodus. So, why is the Ark of the Covenant so special? Why would they want to bring it into battle with them? Well, God made a promise a long time before this story that the Ark, that when the Ark was completed, according to His instructions, exactly like that, when it was done, He would come and live. Among his people, Israel. This is what he said to them. He said, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God. So that I might dwell among them, I am the Lord their God. So the ark was to be a reminder to the Israelites of what the Lord, the, their God had done for them. And it was a symbol of his constant presence and his guidance. So all the people agreed, this is a great idea. Go get the Ark. Go get the Ark. So they sent men to get the Ark and brought it back into camp along with Hophni and Phinehas. Now, Hophni and Phinehas were brothers, but they were also priests. They were appointed by God with the honor of serving their people uh, in, the, in the tent of meeting, which was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. But Hophni and Phinehas were players. They were absolute players. They made the sons of anarchy look like Boy Scouts. They slept with the young women who served outside the tent of meeting. They took whatever they wanted. They were greedy. They made themselves rich and fat off the honoring sacrifices and offerings that their people were bringing to God. They honored themselves and they dishonored God. A man of God Described Hophni and Phinehas to their father saying, Your sons are scoundrels. They have no regard for the Lord. So here comes the Ark of the Covenant. Into the camp, carried by Hophni and Phineas, and all Israel raises such a shout; they they are cheering, and it's such an uproar uproar that the Philistines on the other side of the valley hear it, and they are terrified. They say, "Oh no, what's happened? I think I think some gods have come into the camp, and these are the same gods that that sent plagues on the Egyptians. What are we going to do? This has never happened to us before. We're doomed." They were terrified, and then somebody said, "Be men, Philistines." Be men and fight. And they did. They fought. The Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man, it says, fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. They lost 30,000 men in the battle, including Hophni and Phinehas. And if that wasn't bad enough, the Ark of the Covenant was captured. While all of Israel was grieving... The Philistines were celebrating. I don't know what they said, but I bet it sounded something like this. I guess we have no reason to fear this God. I guess the stories about him that we've heard must be exaggerated, or maybe our God is just stronger than their God. So they carry the Ark of the Covenant of God off to the temple of their God, Dagon, Now this is what Dagon is usually depicted as, half man and half fish. There are statues were very large and his temple was pretty fancy. He was a fertility god. And archaeologists have found the remains of human infants and children beneath the cornerstones of Dagon's temples. And it was common for people to bring their children as a sacrifice on his altar. The temple of Dagon was a dark and evil place. So the Philistines gathered in the temple and they were telling stories of battle and probably laughing at themselves for being so terrified by this God. And then they all went home to bed. But when the Philistines rose early the next day, there was the statue of Dagon, their God, fallen on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. Well, they hurried up and picked him up and brushed him off and propped him back up in his place. And they went home and they went to bed again. And the next day, They rose and they went to the temple and there was Dagon, fallen on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. And this time his head and his hands were broken off and they were laying on the threshold of the temple. And then the Bible says that the Lord's hand was heavy on the Philistines. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with the plague of rats and tumors, which is apparently kind of a hard word to translate. But most Bibles translate it hemorrhoids. (laughs) Rats and hemorrhoids. So keep in mind, God is not above causing a pain in your butt. (laughs) But when the Philistine people saw what was happening, they panicked. They absolutely panicked. They said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here. What shall we do with it? We have to return it to to its place. So I want you to think about this. I want you to look around. Actually look around. Look around at all the people here. What if every single person in this room had a raging case of hemorrhoids? The ark had to go back. So the Bible is full of amazing stories like this. And this story is found in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel I really encourage you to read it. It happens before Jesus, even before David and Goliath. It's an unbelievably deep story with lots of interesting twists and characters. But I have a confession to make. I have a love-hate relationship with the Old Testament. I love the symbols and the themes and the stories and the depth and reading them really helps me understand who God is and to see how his story is always moving towards Jesus and the cross and beyond. But the genocide, the war, the violence, it's just too much. And I have a really hard time reconciling it with Jesus and his kingdom. So I just wanted you to know that it's okay to be as deeply disturbed by the Old Testament as you are inspired by it, because God's feelings aren't hurt. So, the Bible's a book of great stories, and this story is about greed and death and war and scoundrels and failure and rats and hemorrhoids, but there's no confusion about who the hero of this story is. This hero is God. So let's look at this blockbuster battle between Dagon and God, between God versus Dagon. Well, Dagon was no match for God. Even in his fancy stone temple, Dagon was prone to tipping over and needing to be propped back up. Dagon had to be picked up, rescued by his people, and put back in his place. While the one true God demonstrated that he can take care of himself, God didn't need to be rescued by his people. While the Philistines were home tucked in their bed, dreaming about their victory, and the Israelites were grieving the loss of all of those people, grieving the loss of the ark and the loss of hope, really. God was at work in the darkness under the cover of night, and he was battling evil, and he won. He battled evil, and he won. And he removed the head in the hands of Dagon, exposing him for the powerless, cardboard, cut-out God that he was. So this is a story about God, the hero. But it's also a story about his people. And how easily we human beings exchange a relationship with the real God for a relationship with a propped-up, cardboard, cutout version of God a secret weapon that's always on our side. This story is full of characters who've wandered away from a relationship with the real, one true God and attempt to replace him with a made-up one in order to get what they want. So let's look at Israel, God's chosen people. They tried to choose a cardboard cutout God. This is how they did it. This is my big question, too. Why did they go into battle without first turning to God. And I think it's because they they forgot. They forgot that it was God who had brought them this far in spite of their weakness. They forgot that the single greatest thing they had going for them was that God had chosen them as his people. And they vastly overestimated their abilities. They equated their past success with their own power, their own might. And you know what the crazy thing is? God knew they were going to do this. He knew they were small and weak and prone to failing and forgetting. And that is why God over and over and over again in the pages of the Old Testament reminds the prophets, the judges, the teachers that they have to remember. He said, remember, remember, remember. Doug said it. When we baptize all of these babies, it's so that we can remember who God is and who we are. This is how God said it in Deuteronomy 8. In Deuteronomy 8, it's really long, so I, I kind of scrunched it all together for us. He said this, Be careful to do what I say. Remember how the Lord your God humbled and tested you so that he could see what's in your hearts. I'm bringing you into a good land where you won't have any trouble finding food. Remember, this part is incredible. Otherwise, when you have plenty to eat, When you build fine houses and you have lots of nice stuff, your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. And when you forget, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength, the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's like he could be talking right to us. It's incredible. So why did the the army go into battle without God? Because they thought that they stood before the army of the Philistines in their own strength, in their own power. And then if that was true, then if they won, the victory would be theirs and they would get the glory and the honor and the praise of their people. When things didn't turn out the way they wanted, or they thought they would, when they lost 4,000 men, then they remembered. Hey, we have a God. Remember? We have the nuclear option. It's in our back pocket. Let's go get him. Their hearts were so far from God. They didn't want to be his people. They didn't want him to be their God. They wanted to use him to get what they wanted. Now, the fascinating thing is the Philistines, the army camped on the other side of the valley. They do exactly the same thing. Exactly. They use God to get what they want or they try. Once they had victory in battle and they captured the Ark of the Covenant and they carry it back to the temple of their God, Dagon, they thought they had God by the tail. They thought they had a nice accessory. They could set him up beside their God. And I wondered if they thought, well, Dagon's good at this stuff. And this God evidently is good at this stuff. So that's really good for us. Now we have two gods, twice the power. Maybe if we can just keep him safe in his box in the temple, we can use him to get what we want. More victory and honor and glory. Both the nation of Israel and the Philistines viewed God as something they could use to get what they wanted. And who in this room can't think of a time in your life or my life, where we've used God as an accessory, just as a, as a second thought, an afterthought, a secret weapon, a genie in a bottle, a magic spell. So it might help you to think about this idea like this. When my kids were really, really little, They loved to jump off things. They liked to jump off the stage after church. They liked to jump off the edge of the pool. They liked to jump off anything they could find to jump off. And when they were really, really little, they liked to jump off the basement stairs. Just They started on the bottom step. Then they got a little stronger and you know better on their feet, and they'd move up one, two, maybe three steps, and they'd jump. But they always got to a point where it was too high. They couldn't jump anymore. And I loved that point because then I could say, you jump and I'll catch you. And so they would look at me and smile and maybe go down a step or two. And they would jump to me. And, you know, flying is a wonderful feeling. So they wanted to do it again and again and again. And as they got uh, more courage, they would go up seven, eight, maybe nine stairs high. And I'd stand back and say, it's okay. You jump. I'll catch you. Just tell me when you're coming. <laughs> and that's a really important place to think about. Because when they said ready... It was like they were saying, are you the real mom? Are you the good mom that's going to catch me when I jump down the stairs to you? And I would say, yeah, I am. I'm ready. And they would jump. Because my kids had the faith of a child. They knew that if their mom said, I'm standing here at the bottom of the stairs, ready to get you, that I would do it. Now think for a minute. If I was too busy, maybe making supper or playing a game on my phone or something like that. Whoa, gotta prop this thing up. Imagine if I propped this cardboard cutout at the bottom of the stairs and I said, okay, kids, you know, go for it. My kids wouldn't jump. Would you jump to that cardboard cutout? Would you? No way, because kids are really smart. Kids have the faith of a child, and they know that they both want and need the real thing. They want and they need the one true mom who loves them and is going to be there for them. Even though the one true mom has a bedtime and has uh, no TV before school time and has all kinds of boundaries and doesn't always make them happy, they know they want and they need the one true mom or the one true dad. So they had the faith of children. They didn't want the cardboard cutout. They knew they needed the real thing. And when it comes to our relationship with God, for me, and I, I bet for a lot of you, I've grown old. And some of that childlike faith where only the real God will do has kind of gone in some ways i don't always trust the real god anymore to know what's right for me to catch me when i come flying down the stairs i prefer the safer and more controllable god that i prop up i actually prefer the cardboard cutout to the real thing why is that why is that Why are we so eager to exchange a life-giving, transformational relationship with the God who created us and sustains us and loves us for a cardboard cutout that we make up? It's our own making. Well, I think I have one idea why. So Chris Hansen is one of our worship leaders. He's a very talented guy. And he was fishing in the river in my backyard the other day. And... He was talking to Sean uh, before he left, analyzing the difference between lake fishing and river fishing. And he said, you know, on a lake, I control pretty much everything. But on a river, I have the current. I have the flow of the water. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have control when the water's pushing and pulling and flowing. I don't know what to expect. I don't have control. I don't know what to expect. And when we create our own God, our own image of God, propping up a cardboard cutout, it's like fishing on a lake. We attempt to control what God is like, what kind of power he has, what he cares about. So here are a few examples of what I think it sounds like in my life, and I guess in some of your lives too, how how I can figure out if I'm I'm building a relationship with a cardboard cutout or the real thing. So it might sound something like this. I feel I must remain calm and religious-looking on the outside, but I'm crusty, resentful, or angry or afraid on the inside. That's when I know I'm relating to a cardboard God. Or maybe it's that God and I share all the same political views. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Cardboard. Or this is my God life, and this is the rest of my life. That's a cardboard God. Or how about this? I have got all figured out. I don't need to learn another thing about him. That's cardboard. Or, or this one, and I think a lot of us fall into this one. My job is to avoid risk and take care of myself and my people and make sure we come out ahead. That's a cardboard God. And I bet you guys can think of lots and lots of other examples because this is one of those things where we're all alike. We all do this. And we get this, this is our Adam and Eve DNA. We want to control God, and we want to define God, and we want to create an image of our own God. But the faith of a child, the faith my little kids used to have in me, the faith that God wants us to have in him, is wanting and knowing you need, more than anything else, to know and love and trust the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ, even if it means you have very little control. And you don't know what to expect. Our job is to reach out our arms to him and jump. And he does all the rest of the work. All we have to do is jump and he does everything else. So in closing, I'm going to put this down because that's not necessary to be up there anymore. (laughs) What do we learn from the nation of Israel? What What can we take away from this story for ourselves today? And I think the first thing is this, the very first line of the Bible, the very first sentence is this, in the beginning, God. That's what the Israelites forgot. They forgot that God is the the one who started everything. What if we could remember that God is the beginning of everything, Wouldn't we, wouldn't he over time help us to become the kind of people who in the beginning of everything thought about God, no matter what the issue or battle, we could step onto the field, into the conversation, into a new school year, into a new stage of life. And we could stop and remember, okay, God, you go first. And I want to think about what that means. And I want to think about how that will make me enter into this in a new way with God as our first thought in the beginning. And then God promises, if we become his people with our minds tuned into him, he will be our one true God. He wants to be our one true God because he loves us and he created us, not so that he could make us do a bunch of stuff, but that so he could love us. As a father loves a child, always ready to catch her when she jumps. So, what about this? What if we all together helped each other make sure that we build a relationship with the one true God and not a cardboard cutout? Isn't that what the church is? And that would look really good to people on the outside, wouldn't it? They'd want to know, how do they do that? How do they step into life and, and realize that God's already gone before them and just join in? And I think one of the best ways we can start doing this, building an authentic relationship with the one true God, is by talking with him early and often. And I don't mean like early in the morning, because I'm not a morning person. But but that idea, again, of that he's our first thought, that we're going to talk with him when we start things, when we start the day, when we start something that's scary. No waiting until we've reached the end of our power, the end of our strength, when we're all out of ideas like the nation of Israel, but first starting a conversation with him. It's as simple as saying, please teach me to see, to see you, God. Help me recognize you in the world around me. Open my eyes. Please help me to have the courage to get rid of the cardboard cutout and learn to see my life with your eyes and care about the things you care about. Teach me to live in joy and sorrow with you and your power. Because your power is so much greater than my weakness. That's just called prayer. That's all it is. And we just make it so complicated. And then, you and I, we can't live in an authentic relationship with the one true God alone, by ourselves. We were created for community. We were made for relationships. So the other way that we can make sure we're building an authentic relationship with the one true God is to find some ways to live in community. Seek out other people who are learning to do this at the same time you are. And then we can help each other. Recognize our cardboard cutout God. And the church is here to help you. This fall, we are organizing a bunch of new six-week small groups over a lot of topics. We're going to work really hard to bring together some people for long-term small groups. We are we uh, have leadership classes that people are together for an entire year learning what it means to follow the one true God. If you want to know more about that, just talk to one of us. Uh, look on the website Pay attention the next couple weeks as things are kicking off. The church is here to help you. Finally, it's impossible for us to trust what we don't know. That's why if I asked one of these little kids in the front row to stand up here and jump to me, they probably wouldn't do it. They don't know me. It's impossible for us to trust who we don't know. And, and for some of us, we just don't know God very well, or his son Jesus, or his story. And we need to get acquainted with the story before we can decide if we trust him. So there are lots of ways to do that. But one really, really good way is to go on our website and sign up for the daily Bible scriptures. Something that just can come to you every day. There's no effort on your part other than signing up. And every day you can start off with your first thought being about God and his story. It's a really good way to live. So remember... The one true God loves you, and He wants a relationship with you. Don't settle for a cardboard cut up. Life is too short, and God is too good. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be a part of a church where uh, we understand that your love, in so many ways, uh, is most easily understood in, in a crying baby because that's who we all are really when we stand before you in authentic relationship and you love us. You love us. You want more than anything in the world for us to know your love and then to experience your power, your grace, and your forgiveness. Would you help us be a people who recognize where we so often want to exchange the truth of who you are with something that we make up will you be gentle with us as we discover what that looks like but will you be unrelenting will you cause a fire to start in our heart that nothing else will satisfy that nothing in this world will satisfy us but you the one true God and then would you help us to follow you Jesus would you help us to pay attention to the Holy Spirit you've placed within us Would you help us to be kind to each other and to the world around us so that they might know your love. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.